answer that question. Too deep? That ain't my subject. Uh, the body goes in the ground, usually. Just, I don't know, I don't believe in afterlife or hell or heaven or anything like that. So. Well, what happens then? You rot. <laughs> the dirt. I'm not really sure. I, I guess I don't really count myself as, as a very religious person, so I'm not sure if I buy the whole afterlife thing, but I, I kind of find it hard to believe that I'm just going to become a mountain of rotting flesh. I kind of don't know. Agnostics, sort of. I'm open to believe, but I don't know for sure right now. Excuse me? <laughs> I have no idea. No idea what happens? Nope. No opinion on it? Nope. See you? Oh, we don't believe, I don't believe in a heaven or an actual hell. I don't know what you're looking for as far as what? I don't think anything happens when you die. You reincarnate. What are you going to reincarnate us? Uh, a woman. Were we reborn in something else? What do you want to be reborn in? Um, I don't really know. Cow? No. <laughs> Raccoon? No. Bald eagle? Lion? I don't want to Giraffe. be an animal. Uh, <laughs> basketball star. Sure. So what do you think happens, or where do we go after we die? Depends on if you're ready or not. If you're ready for what? To go to heaven or hell. Uh, you go to heaven or go to hell. I believe that there is like a heaven and a hell. And it... To heaven and hell. You go meet the maker. So as a Catholic, I believe in purgatory, that there's a kind of attitude adjustment place because we're not ready for heaven. You go to hell or you go to heaven. What do you think happens, or where do we go after, after we die? Well, I think it's a place that is um, greater than any of us could ever imagine. Um, and I believe that everyone is treated to that, no matter what their um, life was like, what they did, because I think that there's greater forgiveness than we could ever imagine about that either. So every, everybody goes to heaven? I feel we should, we do. That's what I've learned. Where do you believe you're going to go after you die? Heaven. I hope. Hope so, or you know? Hope so. Ho hopefully to heaven, but probably the other place. Really? Heaven, hopefully. <laughs> I don't know where I wind up at, but wherever I wind up, I'm sure there's going to be somebody I know. I don't really know. I did not. It's not like a little thing where your head says ready and not ready, but I like the thing I am, though. Oh, yeah, I think it would get kind of boring just... Spending the, like all eternity on a cloud with a harp or something. So are you are you going to heaven or are you going to hell? I don't know. Just gonna find out when we get there. That's true. Thank you very much. I don't have any idea where that uh, on the street interview was done, but uh, when we previewed that earlier this week, I thought, man. That is a, that's sad, isn't it? That is a sad commentary uh, on the spiritual life uh, of our country. I think it shows where we have digressed over the last several years. Most of you had no clue as to what happened to them. They think maybe there's a heaven, think maybe there's a hell. They hope maybe they're going to go to one place or the other. They hope they go to heaven. Uh, and one guy was right. No matter where he goes, he's going to know somebody that he, that he's going to meet somebody that he knows. Uh, you're going to be surprised when you get to heaven if you choose that path uh, about who, you, who is there and who's not there. So that kind of leads us into this uh, third message in the series on heaven, the original gated community. And um, we are talking about the perspectives about life and death and about our perspective of heaven, particularly asking the question, 
uh, what happens when I die? Now, we all have a, a lot of different perspectives about uh, what heaven is going to be like and what we will do there and how we will celebrate there. Uh, here's some words of wisdom from their perspective of nine-year-olds. Remember, that all these are nine-year-olds. Jim said, when you die, they bury you in the ground and your soul goes to heaven. But your body can't go to heaven because it's too crowded up there already. Uh, that's not true. That, that, the, the, the body goes in the ground because you're going to be done with that. You're going to get a new body. Judy said, only good people go to heaven. The other people go where it's hot all the time, like Florida. Uh, John said, maybe I'll die someday. But I hope I don't die on my birthday because it's no fun to celebrate your birthday if you're dead. You know, the Bible actually says that the day of one's death is better than the day of one's birth. Now you think about that. The day of your birth, you're brought into this world. It's an imperfect world. And you're going to go through all kinds of stuff, no matter how great life is here. But when you leave this world on the day of your death, you go to heaven where everything is beautiful and perfect. And then Marshall said this. This is for all the school teachers out there. Marshall said, when you die, you don't have to do homework in heaven unless your teacher is there. Well, uh, three weeks ago we started this series on talking about heaven, the original gated community. And I knew when I, uh, when I undertook this, and I did it with a lot of prayer and thought about this, um, that, um, that I had some concerns about this series. Number one was I wanted to be absolutely true to what the Bible teaches about heaven. Because I think there's all kinds of, uh, uh, of, of thoughts out there about what the Bible says and, and when it says this, and how it says that, and, and what heaven is going to be like. So I wanted to make absolutely sure that I'm true to the Bible. The second thing was I was fearful that more questions would be raised, or I would raise more questions than, than could be answered. Uh, and then I was concerned about that biblical truth, uh, that it really might be rejected by some of you. Some of you might think I'm going to be a false prophet. Because if you follow this sequentially, as it is given to us in the scriptures and put it together rather than all this random stuff you hear out there. You go to a funeral of a Christian and I don't care what denomination, I think you're going to hear a lot of different things about what so and so is doing in heaven now and, and, and what it's going to be like and they, they get all some, some of the things all put together in different stages. And, and some people don't uh, have already challenged me on some things. So I'm, I have a little bit of fear that you might reject me because it's not what your grandmama told you or it's not what your granddaddy told you or it's not what a friend told you or not what you read somewhere and all that kind of stuff. The other issue is if I leave a lot of questions unanswered, some of you might be with me all the way through this and at the end you say, okay, so what? We don't know any more about heaven than we did. It's, no, you know, the eye can't conceive it and the heart can't imagine it. You know, all that is just going to be something else. So, so what? What difference does it make? Well, let me give you that to you in twofold. First of all, the so what is that you've got to think about heaven or hell as one of two places that you can spend your eternity. And so you need to know that there is uh, more to life in this world than just living and dying here. And the second thing is I want you to know and hear from me that, that there are only two choices to make, heaven or hell. And you spend your eternity in one of those two places. And heaven is not automatically your default destination. You have to make a decision to accept that Christ to go to heaven. You have to have a reservation to go to heaven. And hopefully you have heard enough 
uh, in this series, and at least even today, that you will make a decision to accept Christ and you will be prepared to go to heaven. So let me ask you some, some of the thoughts. Well, what, what are some of your perspectives about heaven? You know, what, what do you have some pictures about that? And I've heard all kinds of different things. There's some, no more jokes, probably more jokes out there on heaven than there are about preachers, and that's a lot of those, you know. But you golfers, do you depict heaven as being a beautiful golf course? You know, and, well, let me ask you this. What kind of challenge would it be to play a perfect round every time you went on the golf course in heaven? Huh? Yeah, sign me up for that. I would. But you know what? I don't think there's golf courses in heaven. Because I don't think there's anything in the business of the kingdom. Do you? So, what about this? Do you still have that idea of fluffy white clouds that you float around with angels' wings and play on a harp and you're bored? A lot of people think heaven's going to be boring. That's why we don't want church to be boring. Some of them think that's going to be like that. Maybe you think it is going to be that beautiful garden, like the Garden of Eden. What about the streets of gold? You've never seen pure gold. You want to see streets made out of gold. The taxes you pay, sometimes you may, maybe you wonder what they're using to pave the streets around here. What about the pearly gates we're talking about, the original gated community? You want to see what those things look like, made out of one single pearl? The river of life that flows through. We sang about that in the first worship hour. The tree of life. I think we all want to take every bit of it in. But you know what's going to make heaven heaven? It's going to be the fact that Jesus is going to be there. And it doesn't really matter about all the other things that are going to be there. Those are just add-ons because the most important thing is Jesus is going to be there. And you want to be where Jesus is, hopefully. I do. That's where I want to be. That's where I want to spend eternity. So what I want to do is I want to, I want to first of all, right now, give you a, a kind of a brief uh, introduction to a timeline of uh, what I think are the events that I take out of the Bible in, a, in an orderly, sequential way that lead us through this whole process of being prepared for eternity. Um, the, uh, the, the media center folks have done a great job. If you've looked up there, the media center is right straight across that way on the children's uh, floor. And in the window there, there are a lot of books on heaven that range from children's books to adult books. And there are a lot of good reading there. Uh, at the end of the worship hour, you'll be given this sheet. Uh, which has heaven, the original gated community on one side, and then there is an artist's rendition of heaven, and then the same timeline. You can use this as a great bookmark. And uh, there's also the books about heaven that I put on here. There might be some good resource reading for you. And then a whole list of books that are available in our media center. You don't have to go any farther than right there to get some great reading uh, on heaven. So you'll get that. I know if we gave them out to you, put them in your bulletin, you'd be reading that, wouldn't be paying good attention to what I have to say. So today I want us to focus uh, a little bit and kind of narrow that down. What, what happens from here on out? Where are we in prophecy? Well, if you look at that chart, you see right now we're living in the church age. The next great thing on God's plan is what we call the rapture of the church. I believe the church is going to be raptured, taken out of this world, and not go through uh, the tribulation time. Now, that is when Christ will just simply come on the clouds... It's the fulfillment of 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. The dead in Christ will rise first, and then those who are alive and remain, who are the church, who are believers in Christ, we're taken up into heaven. Now, some people debate about whether Old Testament saints are, are come to life then with their resurrected body or at the end of the tribulation. You know, I'm not sure about that. Some, and I ask why, and it's because they say, well, there was only a partial revelation to them about Christ, and they did that through faith and that He would come one day, and all the rest of the people have an actual relationship with Christ. I think, I think all of us, Old Testament saints and like, are raptured there. 
at, uh, at the time that Christ comes down on the clouds to take us. Now, we go to heaven. And we're there, and it's at least a seven-year period because the Bible teaches us, and you can trace it all the way back to Daniel 9, that on the face of this earth there's going to be a seven-year period of all kinds of hell being released, which is going to be known as the tribulation. And the poor people who are left on the earth during that time are going to go through all manner of tribulation. I mean, it will be indeed tribulation. You haven't known trials and tribulations like it's going to be there in uh, on heaven and on earth during that time. But we, the church, are raptured out. We're taken out of that. Then at the end of seven years, at the end of that tribulation, and you see some pictures of this, what's going on in heaven in Revelation 5, 4, 5, and 6 or so, and then beginning of chapter 6 all the way through chapter 19, you see all that's been released, the trumpets and the, and the bowls and all those things that you read in the book of Revelation. Chapter 19 of Revelation, that Jesus comes down at the time of Armageddon. And uh, that, is the, that is actually His second coming. And we come down with Him. And that begins a literal thousand year millennial reign. That's what the millennial means. Thousand year reign of Christ on earth. Satan will be bound. And then at the end of that thousand years he will be released one more time. He will deceive some people. And then ultimately he will be thrown into the lake of fire. Now there is a second resurrection at that same time. You know we have the first resurrection. Those who are believers in Christ. When Christ comes to rapture the church and take us out. The second resurrection is those that happen after the millennial, after the thousand years, and they are the people who died without accepting and without acknowledging Christ. And they go before God at the great white throne judgment. And that's where they are condemned. They've already been judged by the fact they didn't accept Christ. And they are condemned to eternity in the lake of fire. They're thrown into there with the, with the devil, the antichrist, false beast, and that's where they spend eternity. And then comes the beautiful thing of the new Jerusalem and the new heaven and the new earth and that's where we spend eternity. Now the reason I, I have to study this and put this together in an orderly fashion is I'm somewhat OCD. I'm, I'm obsessive compulsive. That you give me an outline, I, want, I expect you to follow that outline and fill it out and give me every answer to go in every blank. And that's why I do the same thing for you. If we've got an outline up there I'm going to follow it. Okay. And so that means I've got to have an orderly process about this so I can put my hands around this concept of life and death and heaven. And when does it all take place? Because believe me, in over 37 years as a pastor going to different funerals, and I forget how old I was when I went to my first one, I've heard a lot of comments about heaven. And if you put them all together, I mean, it's just strung out like there's no concept whatsoever, no organization to it whatsoever. And the Bible says that's not the way God works, that God is a God of order, not of chaos, right? And so we have to look at all these things and think about them. Now, some of you might be sitting there thinking the idea, okay, you got Jesus coming twice. How can that happen? Well, you remember the scriptures say that he could come at any time like a thief in the night, and he'll appear on the clouds. And then later on it talks about that all of a sudden he's going to come, and, and when he comes, every eye will see him, and he'll set foot on the Mount of Olives, and the Mount of Olives will split in two, and he will finish that time, that battle of Armageddon, and then Satan will be bound, and he'll reign for a thousand years. Some people go around scratching their head, how can that happen? It's two different things there. What, what goes on? Okay, here's what you got to understand. When Christ comes mysteriously, all of a sudden, he comes on the clouds to take the church out. 
And that's the great day of resurrection described in 1 Thessalonians 4, uh, uh, 13 through 18. That's the day of resurrection. That's when we get our glorified resurrected body and, and we go to heaven with Christ. Now, the other coming, his literal second coming, is after the seven year time of tribulation. And that's when he comes down and he sets foot, Zechariah tells us in chapter 14, on the Mount of Olives and it will be split. And that's when every eye will see him and everybody will know that this is he. Now the interesting thing is many years ago when I traveled in the Holy Land and we were there on, uh, on the Mount of Olives up there, we were told that uh, Holiday Inn had wanted to build uh, an inn up there. And they had some uh, geologists to study that and the geologists came back and said don't do it. So there's a fault that runs right through the Mount of Olives and one of these days that thing's going to split wide open. Well, you know what? God had already said that many, many, many years before those geologists went and made that study. And so, Holiday Inn is not there. At least not when I was there. I doubt if any other inn has been built up there like that. Now, let me, let me tell you something else that happens in heaven. And this is so important during this time. And that is that while we're in heaven and the tribulation is going on in the world, two things of great importance take place. Number one is where believers go before the judgment seat of Christ. That's called the Bema Seat. It simply means a raised platform. You go in a courtroom, the judge is on a raised platform to look out over the courtroom. Or you think about a, a judge at an athletic competition is up on a raised platform. And especially back in the older days uh, with the uh, Isthmus Games and all those things, the pre-runners of the Olympic Games, then the winners would come up on those steps to the judge and to get their reward, which was the crown. So we're judged for our rewards. That's what Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 3. Depending upon what we did with our gifts, our abilities, our time, and with the gospel. And based on that, we look at the foundation of our life, whether we build it on the foundation of Christ or whether we build it on hay, wood, and stubble, which can be burned up. And then based on that, we get our rewards. And the rewards then mean that we have a different kind of ranking uh, in heaven. Then the second thing that takes place during that time is right at the end of that seven-year period of time is the marriage feast or the marriage supper of the Lamb. We are the bride. The church is the bride. Christ is the bridegroom. And that marriage supper of the Lamb takes place right before we come back with Him in His second coming. And that ushers in the millennial period of a thousand years. And then comes uh, the new heaven, new Jerusalem, new earth. And that's where we spend eternity in that form. Now, those are things that we need to, to put together in a sequential form. And you can you can look at many different books and studies on Revelation. Some of them you might find uh, on this form. So it, it, it all comes back to this question. Okay, what happens after I die? What takes place then and what's my destiny? Now, if you listen carefully to that video, you heard four different things that, that really aren't true. But I believe by people today. Reincarnation, you come back as somebody else or another animal or something, depending upon how you lived your life. If you lived a good life, you go to a higher life scale. If you live a you know, poor life, you come down maybe if it's a bug or an animal. Then there's annihilation, and that's the belief that once life on this earth is done, that's it. The body just rots, lies in the ground and rots, and it's annihilation. Another form of that is that there's annihilation in hell, and everybody, all those who go to hell are burned up. And I don't think it teaches that. I think the Bible teaches that's a torment forever and ever. Third one you heard is universalism, and that's the belief that after it's all said and done, that God is this good, kind, loving God, and He's going to say, okay, everybody just come on into heaven and enjoy the benefits of heaven. Uh-uh, ain't happening. If He's going to do that, He never would have sent Jesus to die on the cross and to suffer like He did, right? So it's not universalism. 
Everybody is not going to heaven. It would be nice if that's true, but that's not going to happen. You have to make a decision for him. And then some of you might have heard uh, from a Catholic background that uh, they uh, believe in a place of purgatory. And uh, that's simply a place, uh, you get the word purging, you know, that, that nobody is ready to go into eternity the way that we are when we die. And so we have to go to purgatory for a while so that we can have everything evil purged from us and we can be made ready for heaven. Well, that's not true either. You immediately go to one place or the other. You go to the realm of heaven at that point, and you go to the realm of Hades at that point, and, and, and that's where you are. And the reality for today is that unless the Lord Jesus comes back and raptures the church, every one of us is going to die. We're going to face death in this, in this culture, in, the, in, in this time right now. He's got to come back soon to take the church out, or we're going to experience death. Reminded of a story where uh, an evangelist was in church holding a revival, and he looked out across the, across the congregation and he said, I want you to know that every member of this church is going to die. And one man sitting over here on the front row started laughing. And so the evangelist didn't think that was funny. He said it again. Let me say that again. Every member of this church is going to die. And that guy still was laughing. He said it a third time. Every member of this church is going to die. And that guy just keeps on laughing. Finally, the evangelist looks at him and he says, Sir, why, why, why do you think that's funny? And why are you laughing? And the guy said, I'm not a member of this church. <laughs> well, whether you're a member of this church or not, or a member of any other church, you're going to die unless the Lord comes back. And we've got so many warnings about that all the way through the scriptures that it, that it talks about that. And, and as wonderfully created as this body of ours is, it's not made to last more than maybe 70 or 80 years, right? You get that kind of stuff out of it, you get those many years out of it, and, and, and that's a pretty long time. Uh, I sat down yesterday with one of our church members in the hospital, and, and I could watch his body and know that, that the deterioration has already begun on that process of that dear saint of God. I've watched that many times over the years. When people get cancer, they've got some other disease or something else that's taking them away from us. You just watch that body deteriorate. That's why you know that God who loves us and created us in His image has got a better place for us. He's got a better body for us. That's why we have to believe in this. Now, let's get to the Scripture. With all that said, I'm going to be able to make a, about four quick points about this question about what happens when I die. I want you to look with me in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. This is where the Apostle Paul is writing. And he's really describing the demise of his physical body and what's going to happen. And he gives us a, a good image of that. He says, Now we know that if this earthly tent, that's his body, is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling. Because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now it is God who has made us for this very purpose and has given us the Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Therefore we are always confident and know that as long as we or at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. We live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please Him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. 
And here's where that judgment comes for believers, because he says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him. And Apostle Paul makes this analogy about our bodies like a tent. And you know he talks about, I'm hard pressed between the two. To die for me means to go on to heaven and be with Christ. To stay is to benefit you and mentor you and minister to you. And he says, you know, it's a win-win situation for him. But he was looking forward to that, to that new body and to that new life in a new place. Now, as an analogy there about, about a tent that I can identify with. Uh, and, and you can tell when, you, when Paul was growing old because he talks here about this. He said, for while we're in this tent, we groan. You know, when, when your knees start hurting and your back starts hurting and you start going up steps and you groan and you utter out some kind of cry like that, you know that body's starting, starting to wear out a little bit. Sometimes earlier for one person than for another person. The other thing is if you spend a miserable night in a tent, you ever spent a miserable night in a tent? Most every night I've ever spent in a tent was miserable. You know, one mosquito can destroy your whole night's sleep. You know, they're, they're not permanent. Tents can be blown away by a gust of wind. Uh, they're not comfortable. The ground is hard. Mosquitoes get in. It gets hot in there in the, in the summer. It's not warm enough in the winter if you've got a camp. We used to have a, a big tent, like a big family tent. Big old Sears Roebuck thing, like it had a room and two sides on it. And we didn't do a whole lot of camping up in the mountains and all, but many times when the children were small and we lived out in the country in Florence County, I just put it up in the backyard and we'd sleep there. And uh, usually started out with two or three of the children, and by morning it was just me and the dog because they'd all get up during the night go, and go inside. But if you ever had to stay for a while in a tent, you know that after about two days that whole tent smells like dirty socks, doesn't it? So it's just not a very comfortable place, nor a nice place. And that's the analogy that Paul makes here about the tent to our body. And he says, one day it's going to be gone. And I'm going to get another body. I'm going to get out of this uncomfortable, unpredictable body. And he says, but we are confident, yes, whether pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Now, let's make four, four quick observations then uh, about what happens when we die. Number one, the spirit leaves the body. Paul said to be absent from the body is to be present from the Lord. The moment life leaves this body, this shell, this container, uh, the eternal spirit leaves and goes to God if you're a believer. If not, goes to the other place and it's hotter than Florida. All right. Now, see, this body doesn't define me really. You can take out my appendix. You can give me a new heart from somebody else. You can give me a lung from somebody else. I can donate somebody a kidney. They have mine. But it still doesn't change who I am. So when the spirit leaves, it's like taking your hand out of a glove. Your hand fills that glove and what you leave behind is that empty glove. The body does not define who we are. And one day, I, this body will give in to decay or disease. Old age will just simply wear out. And immediately the spirit leaves that body and goes on to eternity. If you're a believer in Christ, it goes on to where Christ is. Secondly, then, if you're a believer in Christ, angels will carry us into paradise. Remember the thief on the cross who repented, looked at Jesus and said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom? What did Jesus promise him that day? Today you will be with me where? Paradise. In paradise. 
Today you will be with me in paradise. No in-between state. When you go to Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 24, and read the story about the rich man and the poor beggar named Lazarus. And, and the rich man died and he went to Hades. And Lazarus, because he was a child of God, went to heaven, went to paradise. It was called or Abraham's bosom. You know, uh, that's where he went was to paradise. Paradise is simply a Persian word that means a beautiful garden. Uh, with greenery and, and, and beauty and absolutely peaceful and restful. That's where believers go. Unbelievers go to the other place. They go to hell where they suffer forever and ever. And a believer is taken from this world and never suffers. The third thing that happens if you're a believer when you die is that you'll be in the presence of Jesus Christ. At the very moment of your life, when the angels of your death, when the angels come and whisk us away to the next life, you will know that you will be in the presence of Jesus Christ forever and ever. It's called paradise. It's called Abraham's bosom. Now hang with me. This is where some people get confused. That is an intermediate stage of heaven. Now we don't stay in that one forever because we come down and there's a new heaven, new earth, new Jerusalem. Trust me on that. It's in the Bible. We just got to look at that and see. So we are there with Christ. Wherever He is, that's where we are. We had that promise that that's where we are. Because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And then number four, and I'm going to tell you, I honestly struggle with this one. But I will say this, we, we receive a heavenly body. See, I, I really struggle with this one because I don't know if we get a temporary body, a heavenly body while we're there. Because we are waiting the day of resurrection and that, that glorified resurrected body. And that's the one we keep through all eternity. And it would be like Christ. But there are those who say that we get a heavenly body that's temporary. And one of the places where they point that out is again the story of Lazarus and the rich man in Luke 16. That the rich man is down in Hades and he looks up and he sees uh, Lazarus. And, and the guy down here, uh, the rich man Dives in Hades, evidently has a body too. Because he looks up and he, and he sees Lazarus and he says... Father Abraham, send Lazarus just to let him dip his finger in the water and put it on my tongue. Give him some relief. So maybe he did have some kind of body for him to be able to take his finger and put it there. You know, to give him a relief from that. Let me ask this question to see how old you are. Any of you remember that song? Dip your finger in the water to relieve my parchy tongue. I got one over here. Anybody else heard that song? Anybody else know that song? Anybody behind me? Four of us, five of us I think have. We need to bring that song back sometime. And drop kick me Jesus through the goalpost of life. I've still never had it here. But that's an argument there as to, as to the fact that maybe we get a heavenly body in some sense. Or others have said, like Aaron Luther says, it can be spiritualized there. That, that, that there is that sense of function that a body would have. So the issue then is, is what do we do there? I think we rest. The Bible says in Revelation 14, 13 that we rest and our labors do follow after us. I think we fellowship with other believers. We are reunited with others and we spend time with Jesus. And then comes the, the rapture after the marriage feast. That comes, no, then, comes, then, no, then comes the rapture of the church, the day of resurrection, and then we receive our glorified bodies. Then we go through the process of judgment and then we have the marriage supper of the Lamb and then we come down at the literal second coming of Christ and beginning that millennial kingdom and we reign with him forever and ever. The new Jerusalem, the new heaven, and the new earth. Now, the challenge for you today is, as we began about saying, well, so what? 
ask. If we don't answer everything, we don't know everything, and we won't until we get there, so what? Well, so what is, is your eternal destiny is at stake. One of these days, unless the Lord Jesus comes back, whether you remember this church or any church, you're going to die. And where will you spend eternity? That's the issue. Where will you spend eternity? So you've heard enough today that you ought to know, I want to go to hell. I don't want to go to hell. And you ought to know that it's through faith in Jesus Christ and what He did on the cross for you. Let me give you this illustration. Every year the monarch butterflies descend upon Pacific Grove, California. They go into the, the pine trees, they lay their eggs, and then they fly away to die. Uh, those larvae that are left there develop into butterflies, they eventually fly away. And they come back to that same area. And some entomologists who study that, entomologists who study that, believe to the very same tree. And they, they don't have a GPS system. How do, how do they know what to do and how to do that? God has put that instinct within them, and they know that homing sensation and how to do that. Well, the Bible teaches us that God has done the same thing for us. Ecclesiastes 3.11 tells us that God has placed eternity in our hearts. I think that simply means that we all have a longing to know something about eternity, to know where we will spend eternity, and to know how we can spend eternity with God. You know, eternity is forever and ever and ever. It never ends. We know something about it, and in fact, it's going to be the most wonderful, glorious, grand place you ever could imagine. And you're going to live there forever and ever and ever with Jesus. You're going to praise Him, you're going to worship Him, you're going to serve Him. I don't know what else is in store. We can't imagine what we're going to experience, but it's going to be great because God has promised it. And every promise is yes in Jesus Christ. So the issue for today is what happens when you die? You go to your eternal place. Your spirit goes to your eternal place. And where would that be today? Some of you know that you're ready. You're ready to go to heaven. We're not getting up a busload today, but if we were, you'd be ready, right? If, if you lay your head down tonight and you died during your sleep, you'd go to heaven tonight. You know that. Others of you don't have that sense of peace. You don't know that. You need to know Jesus. You need to accept Jesus Christ who died on the cross for you and for your sins so that you know that your eternal destiny is secure in heaven. It's up to you. Father, we thank you today uh, that once again you give us a little more insight into the glory and majesty and splendor of, of heaven and uh, that you promise us once again that we can spend that eternity with you as we believe in Jesus Christ as our Savior and our Lord. So I pray, Father, for all those today who need to make that decision to accept Christ will do so. And they will embrace Him as Savior and they will be sure of their salvation and eternity in heaven with you. For those of us who are believers, may we cherish that. May we look forward to that. May we pray, come quickly, Lord Jesus. And may we be more, more zealous to be able to share that faith with those who do not know. And Father, I pray that in the name of the Lord of Lords and King of Kings, the quick coming King of Kings and Savior of all, Jesus Christ our Lord.